Hey guys, welcome back to Game Changers Podcast. Today I am here with my co-host Jaden, as always, and a very, very special guest with Jessica Jansen, um, founder of the Non-Shareable Foundation, Love for Lewiston Foundation, and author, blogger, blogger, so much, uh, influencer, just a little bit of everything. Right, Jessica? Sprinkling it all in, just like you name it, let's make it happen. <laughs> awesome. So I guess for people who don't know you already, obviously... You have so, we have such an amazing story about, um, you know, your life and your experiences to share now. But mm-hmm. uh, I guess um, to give an intro, what would you say to the people that are meeting you for the first time? Uh, I just did this intro with you guys. So, hi, my name's Jess. Uh, if you're tuning in, buckle up is probably the first thing and proceed with caution. Um, my name's Jess. I moved to Calgary, Alberta from uh, my parents' farm just outside of Winnipeg, uh, 13, almost 14 years ago now. And I am married to the love of my life. My husband, his name is Hot Ronnie. We've got three incredible kids. And uh, my life took a crazy turn, as I know that lots of other people's have. You kind of have these, you know, speed bumps and roadblocks and forks in the road. And we had a crazy uh, fork in the road in 2016. after um, our daughter was only four months old, we got pregnant with our second son. And that was absolutely a wild ride um, for those of you young people, because these boys are quite young. So I'm assuming this audience might be a little bit younger, but we had sex twice after our daughter was born and used the pull-up method as a form of birth control. And let me tell you, it didn't work because along came baby number two. Um, so crazy circumstance for Tips for, for everyone. Our... Tips for everyone. Yes. <laughs> I'm just saying, you never <laughs> you know. a live testament that yeah. the method does not work, okay? Yeah, it does not work. Um, and I was told that I wouldn't be, like, I wasn't very fertile and we thought we'd struggle to have kids. Exact opposite scenario for us. Um, and what a blessing because so many people struggle with infertility. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we were, I don't know, older getting started, whatever you want to say. So my son is born, my daughter, I literally, when I walked in Strasbourg, I was like, hey, me again, was just here a year ago, and we're having another baby. You can hear my children screaming in the background, uh, because hashtag COVID times, and we're all at home. Um, and about two months, um, after two months, we were in Winnipeg, where we vacationed, because that's what we crazy people do, is you vacation in Winnipeg, and my son went limp, and I didn't even know it. And so, long story short, he, I brought him into a chiropractor, because he was colicky, which was like this upset stomach, constantly crying, needed to be held, needed to be bounced. And if anyone here has ever held a colicky baby, it's crazy. I go into Children's Emerge not thinking anything of it. Um, Just being like, okay, like they'll check them out. I'm sure it's nothing. Stopped on the way to the hospital. I grabbed a hot Americano, a gluten-free sandwich. um, And I was actually like bummed when they're like, oh, right this way. Like I got in and I was like, oh, I don't even get to eat my sandwich. You know, if you've ever been in an Emerge in healthcare, like unless you're dying, it's usually a long wait. So I was shocked that we got on, got in so quickly. And literally after the next nurse came to do her assessment, she's like, could you wheel your baby this way? And as I'm wheeling my child, I look up and all I see are the words resuscitation room in big black letters. And I was like, what the use in colorful language there? And the next thing I know, there's this like team working on my son and they're calling out vitals and they're paging and they're getting cardiology and neurology and asking for a CT and an MRI and an EEG and an EKG. And I was like, what? And the, the quick version of it is that after six days, they found nothing in Winnipeg and we had tested for everything like a vitamin deficiency, you know, some, you know, everything you could think of. And we got released 
We flew back home a few days later to Calgary. We went and saw our GP on that way to see our our uh, doctor. We got a phone call from the hospital saying they had gotten bits and pieces of our file and wanted to follow up with us. And we were like, oh, we're on our way to a doctor's ironically. She goes and says, you need to go straight to Children's. And so we went to Children's Hospital. They ended up um, admitting us that day. We repeat all the same tests just to find out that um, they believed that our son had a disease called spinal muscular atrophy. And in my book, I talk about this crazy scenario, but um, nine years before this happened, I had said I'd never want to work with handicapped kids. They disgust me. And uh, a week later, I met a little boy and a little girl that had a rare genetic disease called spinal muscular atrophy. And I had spent the last nine years of my life helping this family, being involved in their lives, taking them on trips to my parents' farm. We had just finished fundraising uh, almost $50,000 for this family for a new wheelchair accessible van. And I literally, weeks after that check and helping get money raised for them, we uh, ended up um, having our son with, it, with that very same diagnosis. And what I didn't realize was that at the time, my son had the most severe form, which was type one, which means death before the age of two. And because he was so young when they diagnosed him, um, they thought that he probably wouldn't make his first birthday. And unfortunately, um, they were right. We did a ton of stuff to fight for his life, um, but we just were not at total peace with um, uh, some of the procedures. And you could just tell our son had had a really bad choking accident. And so we pulled off the breathing equipment and he passed in November of 2016. So he's just shy of a six month birthday. And that led to um, a total change in my life. A few months later, it was approaching what would have been his one-year birthday, and friends said, what do you want to do? And we had made a stance to say that regardless of what happened with our son, we would always bring the joy. Um, we didn't know how exactly or what that looked like, but in the hospital, we came up with these rituals of daily dance parties and of you know creating the most out of what we could where we would. And uh, in, on his first birthday, we hosted a fundraiser as like his birthday party. And I was like, let's just raise $10,000. Like, that'd be so cool. I'm like, maybe we could even raise 15. And I just wanted to write a check back to the hospital to say thank you. As a parent that's like had to experience ICU and eMERGE in the unit. And then at the end, we were in the hospice for the majority of his life and getting this, you know, incredible treatment, incredible compassion. I was like, I just want to say thank you and give back. And we weren't in the position to write a check financially. So we hosted this fundraiser it blew up we raised 42 grand in one night and then wow. I was like if we can do that let's raise 100 grand by the end of the year and that snowballed into in three years we've raised over eight hundred thousand dollars and we're working Crazy. on implementing newborn screening and I didn't go back to my old job that I had I've started like influencer blogging I wrote a book I've just recently published it and so yeah life has um totally gone a different direction than I thought, but we've chosen to use pain as rock. <laughs> the story. Wow. <laughs> I mean, yeah. uh, I just think that's so, uh, that's, ex that's extremely inspiring. And I even told you this before, <clears throat> the fact that you were able to take that incident and, um, you know, a lot of the time, like these, these, uh, these type of experiences just test you, right? Mm -hmm. They really just test your, <laughs> uh, your willpower, your mental strength, your ability to uh, overcome it and I think being able to take that experience and turn it into something so amazing like how many how many families have you been able to help after raising eight hundred thousand dollars 
You know what? I don't have that total count. It's something like 20 or 30 families, but I think the more exciting thing for, I mean, I shouldn't say more exciting, but one of the things that we're going to be most proud of and that we've been working on for over two years now, it'll be two and a half years, is newborn screening. And that's so that no... that like um, all babies who are born need to be screened for this. So there's each province screens for a series of things, um, cystic fibrosis, Down syndrome, so that they're able to help these children and, you know, get treatment or access it rather than it going undetected for a long period of time. And we believe that if Alberta can lead the way, Ontario um, is leading right now. Um, and we hope to follow suit as soon as we get sign off. But we believe that like this will help every baby born and ensure that they don't go undiagnosed because I'm such an aggressive person. We were able to dig and get the answers, but maybe somebody that was a first time mom or someone a little bit more timid or wasn't as bold, um, they could have missed the diagnosis or a month or two could have gone by and so much deterioration happens in these little babies. So um, we believe we'll be able to help thousands of families moving forward. Um, we hope that there's not a lot of kids diagnosed with this, but we'll be able to detect it and get them treatment. And when Lewiston was born, there was no treatment. There was no drug approved. Everything was in clinical trials where now there's an approved treatment. There's soon to be what they say will almost be like a cure. Um, it's, it's just approved by the FDA. It's the world's most expensive drug. Um, it's, we're hoping Health Canada will approve it here before the end of the year. So the landscape has changed drastically. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, how long have you been doing uh, the foundation course? So we started the foundation May 25th, 2017, what was just like this, like, hey, let's just start this thing so that if we raise more money, we have kind of its own separate bank account because we're self-employed and we're like, we didn't want to run it through a business. And we had no idea that it would blow up to be this, but we've been running for just over three years now um, with a board of directors. And I'm now hired on um, just in a part-time capacity, but um, as the executive director for the foundation. And I mean, our goal is that we are able to fund all the families' needs that are fighting this brutal disease and help them out. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. And I think the biggest question on my mind is, you know, with so many people experiencing loss with COVID-19 and all these mm -hmm. incidents, I mean, even, um, I think losing your child, I think that could be one of the most difficult experiences anyone could ever have in their life. And how were you able to overcome that experience? Like how, what, what helped you really get over it? Or, I mean, because you, you necessarily, you might not just be over it. Like it just, it can take an entire lifetime for you to really just be okay with that experience. So, I mean, how did you find that strength and the resilience to, um, I guess, face it and accept it and move on from it? Mm -hmm. So two things, I don't think one A will ever be over it. I think you just learn to process it in how to navigate grief. Um, and two, it'll be a lifetime and it's now woven into my story and into the fabric of, of my being and who I am. Um, I'm a person of faith, and so uh, we relied heavily on, on our church, and um, I pressed into the Bible. My grandparents grew up. I'm going to church. You know, I kind of denied my faith for a little bit, and then I found it um, again, and I share that story in my book. 
Um, but when you're holding a kid, watching them struggle, and especially when it's your own child, um, watching them struggle to breathe and you wonder, oh, is this going to be their last breath or will this be, will this be it? Um, you need to believe in something more than just like, well, that was life and you know, such as such. And so I have this deep rooted faith in, in grace and it's unmerited, undeserving favor. Um, and it's not a series of things that you have to do, but just grace that's been extended to us. And so I believe in, in heaven and that has been a massive, um, piece of my grief and how I get through it. And also my strength, because I don't worry about um, my son. I believe that he's whole, he's disease free. And grief is, are we allowed to swear on this podcast or is it pretty clean? Well, go ahead. <laughs> grief is a motherfucker. I mean, I love Jesus, but I also sometimes need to say fuck. And um, my mom has really struggled with this. She's a woman of great faith. And I know it rubs people the wrong way, but when you have lost someone as close as your son, you know, your child, there is no word in the English language um, strong enough, uh, you know, to describe what, the, what you feel. And so um, I have been gifted a life. I have breath in my lungs. I have a beating heart. And I know that I have a choice. And so um, I, I do believe that this happened and that it happened for me. And I believe Believe, like you're dying I'm dying like we all die like tomorrow could be my day and it's like I want to say hey I went out with a bang I lived it well um, I showed up and unfortunately I, I think we all just hope that you know you live until you're 85 you maybe hit the 90s and I'm at peace because I know that our days are numbered and unfortunately my son's was only 179 the beautiful part is that his life is, has purpose and it still is living out. We're still seeing my son's legacy uh, continue on. And my husband and I, the day we got the news that our son wouldn't make his first birthday, the day of, of diagnosis, it was August 5th, uh, 2016. So it'll almost be four years. I knew we had a choice and I said, this will either break us or it will make us. It would have broken apart our marriage. It would have broken apart um, us as people. And we both continue to press into saying like this, um, we probably, I don't know, three months ago, two months ago in the middle of COVID and being quarantined, we were in the kitchen cleaning up like the 50,000th time. And I said, could you imagine our life any other way? Like meaning, you know, could you imagine if Lewiston was still here? Could you imagine if I had gone back, whatever? They said, no. And it was crazy. We both were in agreement that it was like, this is part of our plan and how our story was supposed to go. It hasn't been easy, but I know that it's part of our story. So rather than denying it, I, I press into it. I use pain as rocket fuel. Um, I use it to help um, make change and I use it to touch other people's lives. And so nothing is wasted. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, so this, uh, this incident, it, it strengthened your, uh, your relationship with God and your, and it uh, made you more spiritual? I don't know if I'd use the word spiritual. I was on another podcast and someone said, oh, super religious. Like, I'm just a yeah. girl, blonde hair that loves Jesus, goes to church, reads the Bible. And my two things are like, love Jesus and love other people. And I don't complicate the rest. Um, I believe if we did those two things, we'd see a whole totally different world. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So you found you found, you basically found a lot of strength through just faith, and uh, I think through that my really faith, helped yeah. you. Yeah, faith. A, a, okay. a thousand percent. And I will say this: um, I have a quote card. Actually, is it right here? Hang on. 
Um, I, when I, we launched our pre-sale, so we, we pre-sold our, our book. And then for anyone that did our pre-sale, we made these cards. And I don't know if this is showing up the right way. But it says, it's not the load that breaks you down. It's the way you carry it. And it's a Lou House quote. quote and I truly believe because we pressed into community and we raised our hand and we said, hey, we need help. Hey, we don't want to do this alone. Like you talk about how you got through it. We got through it. Yes, faith, massive. Um, we got through it because we made a pact and a commitment and we stuck to that. We made it through because we raised our hand and we told our community we needed help and they stepped up. And I know that people, they're inherently good. Yeah, sure. There's a few bad apples that we really could probably do without, but people are good and they want to help and they want to journey alongside you and be part of the solution. And that was the game changer for us that like when it got really tough, we could say, Hey, we're not doing okay. We need help. Or Hey, a friend would show up and say, I'm just going to sit with you this evening and you don't have to say anything, but I'll just sit with you and be in the muck and in the hardness and I'll, I'll carry the burden for you. And so I believe when we allow others to help carry the burden, um, it makes it a lot easier to get through. Yeah. I really like that. Um, and and I believe in that too also that the inside really like pretty much everyone is uh is good inside and they just want to help each mm -hmm. other yeah I agree yeah and uh so I mean going from there I wanted I want to know about okay so yes you're you're battling this incident that's happened yep. How, where did you find this inspiration to say you know where, when did you kind of just kind of come about to say this is what I really want to do I want to help uh, fight this, um, fight this disease because it just became so personal for you, right? It was, mm -hmm. you, you had such a strong experience with it that you said, Hey, this is, this is what I want. Uh, this is what I want to work towards. So I, I actually believe it happened before my son. Um, but then my son just like, I think like we all live our life and we're like, Oh man, I wish God or the universe, whatever you believe. But like, for me, it's like, Oh, I wish God would give me a memo of like what I'm supposed to do next. You know, when you're trying to figure it out, like what's my job, what's my yeah. role. Literally, God was like, like, here's like, literally like fax me a memo and was like, hello, knock, knock, like, this is your life work. Because there's no way nine years before my son was born that I would have met these two kids a week before I said handicapped kids disgust me. There's no way that I would have been so passionate to spend time and help this family and just be involved in their lives. And I just wanted to make the burden lighter for their mom and dad. And at the time it was like, okay, they're going away. Well, not a lot of people can just like pick up their lives and be like, Hey, I'll look after your kids and pick them up from school and take them to the movies. And I'll live with you for, I'll live with them for a week while you're in Mexico trying to recoup and keep your marriage together. Cause it's nuts. And I remember after one week of looking after these kids, one week, so seven days, their parents went to an all inclusive in Mexico. I'm like young. I'm like your age at this time. So you should have like friggin', I mean, insane energy. I was begged because these kids needed to be like literally in the middle of the night. They they were six and eight and I looked after them and however they old, I looked after them a few times, but they would call in the middle of the night. Hey, can you roll me over? Hey, Jess, my, my sheet, I need my sheet up. Hey, um, my throat's dry. I need a sip of water. Hey, I need to roll over. Like think about how many times you move in the night and their bodies are paralyzed because their muscles are so weak and their nerves don't talk to their muscles so they can't move. So they rely on someone to move their bodies, roll them over, pull up the sheets, go to the bathroom, pick their nose. If Sean, the little boy, his hands were so weak. So every night before bed, I'd be like, let's dig for gold and I'd get to pick his It takes muscles to do that. And so I just remember being so mad when I knew that they didn't have the funding they needed. 
And I was like, you know what? I like these caseworkers come in, they do a one or two hour assessment. I'm like, tell them to stay with you for freaking 24 hours. Tell them to do a whole week and then get them to deny you funding. And so this like disruption within my body, this thing that started to irk me, bother me, I knew I wanted to change. I just wanted to help and make a difference. And I believe like we have these deep seated nudges and that was a nudge for me. I'm like, this isn't okay. There has to be a better way. And then nine years later, I'm trying to get out of the hospital to bring my son home so that I can like live in my home. But we chose to stay in the hospice. We thought he was getting better. We honestly did. But I chose to stay in the hospice because they wouldn't fund me at home to have uh, a nurse. And I, I could sleep through the night because he needed constant care. And so like, again, it was like this, this thing that irked me. And so I literally believe that this is like my life work. And so, um, I just took that thing that bothered me, that nudge in my heart that was like, this isn't okay. I can't accept it. We can do better. And I'm like, this is now my, my mission and my life work. Um, I wish I could do things faster. I wish we could raise more money. I wish I could, you know, be a fairy godmother and just have a magic wand and make it all better. And that's not how it goes. Um, but we're fighting for these families. I'm trying to be a loud voice and we're just trying to ease the burden, even if it's five or 10% better. Um, it's better to show up and do that than to not show up at all. Yeah. And, and I think uh, I'd like to congratulate you because I think to some extent you really have made a difference because you said, you know, raising, raising $800,000 uh, for Love for Lewiston Foundation, I think that's not a joke, right? Like, you know, you're a local business, uh, little, well, not, not for profit out of um, mm -hmm. Calgary and, you know, raising $800,000, it's not, it's not easy. And uh, even just starting yeah. the brand as well for your clothing line and raising mm -hmm. money through that. So I just think that's, that's amazing. I, th I think we have amazing business community members and I always encourage people, Mather, look at me. This is all the things, but this is my other thing. Dream big, go anywhere, do anything. And we just said, like, we set out in the midst of COVID when we had to cancel our massive plans, this event with 400 people, we raised over $100,000 just by tuning, getting people to tune into my Instagram, and we did an Instagram-a-thon. And so um, we're just so passionate that you can do something and that you just have to show up and continue to put in the hard work. And it wasn't always this big. My very first fundraiser, 13 people showed up. The room was practically empty, and I was so embarrassed and thought I was a failure. And you just have to keep, keep putting in the work. And yeah, I think when I something really, really matters to you, to you like when something really matters to you, sorry to cut you off, Jaden, but no you just really find that grit and um, that resilience to just push you because you say, hey, you know, this is who I am. Like, I really have no other choice. Like, mm -hmm. I, just because there's setbacks where I'm just starting out, like, I, I really, this is who I am. This is what I have to do. There's no plan B. There's no other option. Like, I really have to follow through on this. And I think that when you find something so personal to you, that's when you know, like, that's really what your purpose is. That's what your mission is. You really found um, that light in your life that you want to work towards. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead, Jaden. And, and, uh, and with you saying, like, only 13 people came the first time and stuff, uh, I can really relate to you. And I think everyone has. Everyone has had those moments where they try to do something and only 13 people show up. And you just have to power through it. Yeah, totally. And uh, I love this analogy where it's like, um, you know, when you start something from the beginning, a lot of people are just kind of afraid to fail, afraid to, um, I guess, make mistakes. And it's very cliche, but I just love the analogy of, well, a baby, right? And when, when a baby's born, 
the first step is it learns how to crawl, then it learns how to walk, then it learns how to run, right? So you can't start running without crawling, right? So it's a process and we're all crawling with different things with different times. So, you know, it's, uh, we're always learning, always crawling. So there's no shame in crawling. Right? No, not at all. And like, that's, I think the power of the story and that's what makes the mountaintop moments. That's what makes the 800,000 so sweet is like, it's seeing people continuing to show up. It's seeing it slowly grow. It's seeing that it didn't come overnight um, and seeing the impact that it's had on the families. And it's like, okay, we've helped 20 families, 30 families, whatever it is. And next year, the number is going to be even bigger. And I mean, I don't, it, ideally, I don't want to be helping these families. I'd love to find a cure for the disease and be like, oh, our work is done here in these kids. But that's not the reality of it. And so we're, we're here for the long haul with these families. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, discussing all of that, I, I want to talk a little bit about other things that you're involved in because mm -hmm. that's just a part of it. You know, you're yeah. an author. You, you do a lot of influencing online. Um, yeah. You do a lot of keynote speaking. You are a lot of, uh, you're a motivational speaker. So how did that, uh, those other areas come about? Because you used to be in software sales, mm -hmm. right? Which is um, extremely different. <laughs> well, before that, I was the director of operations for uh, Jugo Juice, which is like the equivalent to Booster Juice. So um, yeah, I was in the food industry for a really long time and consumer packaged goods and obviously um, fitness, like health and wellness. So yeah, I mean, my life is totally in a total change. And if you would have said to me, I mean, this, and now here I am and it's like totally taken a 180, but it's also like, Oh, okay. Um, interesting how it comes about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, do you think that, uh, that this thing happening to your son was like a, a tipping point for your life where you just, decided to once the ball started rolling you just decided like oh I can achieve anything I can just uh try to do whatever I want to do and just and just try my best to do that yeah Jaden I mean I, I think a thousand percent um I think when you have something happen as hard as it it did for my husband and myself um you learn to stop caring about what other people think because um and I, I still struggle with it, but I, I do a lot better. I don't really care um, as much as I used to about what other people will think or like if I have a wild idea or if I want to try something out, I've let go of the fear of other people's opinions and I've just pressed into like fully of who I am. And I'm like, it's like you have your own people. I'm like, I'm not your cup of tea. Like, that's okay. I believe we should all love each other and you can do you and I'm going to do me. But I think when I let that go of like, what would other people think? And I just was like, I'm going to, I'm going to have a foundation. I was like, I think we're going to have a wing at the hospital. Like that's like one of the goals that I have. Um, you know, we're going to like cure this disease and I'm going to like, these are the things I'm going to write a book and I'm going to become a New York times bestseller. I mean, I talk about that on my Instagram and most people are like, like what you like some like little Winnipeg born like farm girl who's like what now on Instagram like you're going to become a New York Times bestseller and it's like damn right and if it isn't this book then it'll be a different book and if it's not the next book I write then it'll be the third book but I'm going to go after it because it's important and so I learned to dream big um I have a tattoo Lesko and he says um most people um die at the age of 25 but aren't buried till 75 and that analogy of like, you know, you're usually young and ambitious and you do the things and then all of a sudden you start yeah. to care what people think. 
And then all of a sudden, like your whole life goes by. And so when my son passed, I was like, why do I care so much about like what other people think? They're not in my shoes. They're not living my life. And even now having a very public life, you know, you get criticized for a lot of things, you get scrutinized and I have to just stay true to my core values and to who I am. And the people that sit at my table, my close people, they're the ones that are allowed to call me on my BS and keep me in check. And then the ones up in the nose um, bleeds that are just, you know, viewing from a screen, creating a fake account, they don't get to speak uh, truth into my life because they're not in the arena. And that's a Brene Brown analogy. Um, and it's taken a lot of work to get there. But when you lose something as precious as your son, you just see how uh, short life is. And we're working on a documentary called 179. And we really hope to spark the conversation with people to say like, if you had Jaden or, you know, if you um, Harsh had only 179 days left, like how different would they look? probably would stop watching Netflix a little bit more. You probably wouldn't play as much Minecraft. You probably, you know, would like go sit with your grandparents or you would learn about family or you'd investing or you'd take the risk and the dream that you've always had and you'd go do it. And I'm just so passionate to empower other people to do the same thing. Yeah, that's awesome. That's actually really inspiring. And, uh, mm -hmm. and lots of the things you said, I've never heard anyone say it in uh like that way, like you put it in your own perspective and it's really, uh, really inspiring. Hopefully that lights a fire underneath your own ass so you stop <laughs> playing so many video games. I don't know if you play video yeah, games. I'm just... You gotta, you gotta stop playing video games, man. Come on. Yeah, I gotta cut the mind okay. out. <laughs> moment of truth, moment of truth here. Do you guys play video games? Not I, as much. Oh, I only, like, uh. <laughs> I only started once COVID came. Like I, I stopped for like five years and once, COVID came, I started just a tiny bit. So now I'm going to challenge you. Imagine uh, the amount of hours that you put into video games. Imagine putting that into your dreams and working on them. And I guarantee you, your life will blow up before your eyes and you won't even believe what happened to you. Um, it, and not to say we, we all need things to check out. You need to be able to watch the Netflix and chill. You need to be able to take the yeah. breaks. But it, it'll really shift your perspective and I, I do, I believe, um, we were fortunate enough that when um, we were told that our son was dying, you live differently. Um, a lot of people, I just had a friend recently, uh, a mom in our community, um, she put her child down to go to sleep and he never woke up. Um, and, you know, you could have been frustrated, you could have been mad, you're like, oh, I just want you to sleep, you know, this young baby, not even 11 months old. But we had the gift of knowing, like, basically, it was like, you have less than 365 days. And there's a Tim McGraw song, like live like you were dying. You live differently when you're delivered a diagnosis like that. When you were given that piece of paper, you show up differently. And um, it just changes your perspective. If it doesn't, then you're clearly not paying attention. But that was like someone smacked me across the face and said, Jansen, like, wake the F up. Yeah. And I think you mentioned a lot about uh, really just living every day to the moment. And the, the thing is, um, you know, a lot of a lot of people our age and our generation they're so like you know we have so much potential i think the age that we're in and the power we have through media and the influence we have and the amount of knowledge that gets shared around it's amazing and our potential is exponential but i think where we get lost is um because there's so because we're so used to getting everything so instantly there's so mm. much instant gratification with everything whether uh -huh. it's social media or even when we're playing games like how it's designed to 
you know, just with um, like Fortnite or something, we're chasing after that win or something, whatever it is. We're so used to getting that win so easily. Fortnite. That, you know, for, that's what the cool kids are playing, not Minecraft. See, I don't not even anymore. play video games. Fortnite okay. is done. Fortnite is done. You're late. Oh, Fortnite is is done. Fortnite so is, is done. <laughs> okay. It's Warzone. It's Call of Duty Warzone right now, which is yeah, like changes changes every week. Just something every week, else. yeah. But the point being, you know, it's we're so used to <laughs> we're so used instant to gratification, instant gratification, everything. You know, likes, yep. comments, whatever it is through social media, um, our laptop computers, everything we engage in, right? It's it's very you know, Tinder, swiping left, right. It's, we're so used to gratif- gratification, validation everywhere that when we have to go through an experience that could take a lot of time to mm-hmm. get validation, maybe build a business that, or a not-for-profit that could take four to five years to really build up from the ground. Um, when we think about- 10 that, years. Think, 10 years, yeah. Like, t- like four or five years is like, you're lucky. Like 10 years is what actually is the average. But. And, and most businesses don't even- most businesses, sorry, my son's crying in the background. Most businesses don't even make it the first year. Like if you can make it past year five, like you're in it for the, the long haul. And it's exactly like you said, I think we're in this for, in, it, and we're, we're now trained and conditioned. Like even my brain now works, like I'll post something on social and it's like a dopamine hit when someone like comments or likes or like tells you what the, like encourages you on the work that you're doing. And so then when you don't get that, it's really easy to want to quit and give up. Um, but you, your generation, even me in my life, like you literally can dream anything up and you can make it happen. You literally can. And I just think it's like, what has your brain and your mindset been conditioned to actually believe? And fortunately, I had a, a mom and a dad, um, you know, they've been married for 40 years. God bless them. They're absolutely freaking hilarious. Um, I love them to bits. But like they, they conditioned me to believe that I could do anything. My mom's notes were like, you can do anything. Like God created you for good things. Like I can't wait to see you do it. My mom was like, always like, go get them, Tiger. And I had that amazing upbringing. I don't think everyone is that fortunate. But like my mindset is wired. I'm like, oh, we need to find a cure for SMA. Okay, like what do we need to do? Roll up the sleeves, let's go. How much money do we need to raise? Okay, let's go do it. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's not always the case because sometimes when it's hard work and it's like, oh, this isn't just like a one-year thing or a six-month thing or a one-day thing. And this is like a a lifetime now commitment. It's hard. It's really Mm -hmm. hard. And I think that's what uh, you really need to do. And that's what my message is always about. You know, when I, even when I do life coaching, it's the first thing we're taught is the most, the number one step is awareness, right? And because we're so caught up in all these different stimulations all around us, we have such a lack of self-awareness where often we don't even know who we are, like what, we, what our dreams are, what, what, what's important to us, right? What do we value most? And I think until you really explore yourself and try to understand, hey, this is what matters to me. These are my experiences that really cultivated who I am, who I want to become, and these values I want to you know, implement in my life on a daily basis to make the most out of every day so I can, you know, sleep at night. That's what, that's what really matters. And um, that's why it's kind of like, you kind of really need to keep yourself in check. And like you said, um, uh, I kind of understand what matters to you the most. And sometimes I think we don't pause or all of these signs that we're like looking for about what we should do or what's the thing, or like, I'm scared if I choose this and I'll miss out on that. And my whole book is about um, an abundant life and I believe you have an abundant life when you respond to the nudges. It's like, what are those nudges on your heart? They're like those whispers, those tugs, those pulls. And that's how I believe I've brought the joy. My whole like hashtag theory, philosophy, mission in life is to bring the joy. Like your grocery shopping, bring the friggin' joy. 
do a high kick from the store when you find the jam that you like. You know, bring the joy even to your son's death. Bring the joy into the tough mundane. Bring the joy into cleaning up the kitchen floor for the 19th time, whatever it is. But I believe like that full, abundant, incredible dream life that we all have this vision of, I believe it happens when we respond to those nudges. And sometimes we don't do a good job of like, listening, looking, and then making the choice to respond to those. And that's where the magic happens. Magic is, is like you get this nudge, you get this tug, you have this idea, but then it's like in the actual steps and that's the hard work. That's the hard stuff. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about your book. Like, cause I know you mentioned a couple of times and I'm curious to know (laughs) what's, what's, what's your book about? I know it's called bring the joy. I want to know, you know, what's special, what's special in your book. Um, Tell us a little bit about what, what's inside, what's there to learn. How, how can I grow? So I wrote this book. It took me six years to write it. Um, It's been over $90,000 to get to this point and like a lot of late nights, early mornings and sacrifice. Um, I wanted to share my story because I know that there's power when you're like, somebody else has been there. Somebody else has walked through that. Um, It sometimes gives us us the courage on the days that are really hard to keep going. And so I dedicated this book to anyone who is in or has been in darkness. I said, there's light, there's hope, but most importantly, there's joy. So the joy is coming. Just keep responding to the nudges. And it shares about my faith. It shares about the journey with my son. It shares about the crazy romantic uh, saga with my husband and how I had to confess my undying love for him three or four times before he finally snapped to it. And uh, got some sense knocked into him. Uh, it shares a little bit of, about my career, but it, it truly is like a, a memoir of my life and the decisions I've made. But my favorite thing that we did, and I have to give credit to, she's like a life coach, but more like a friend to me, Heather, um, Heather Borsma. Um, she was like, what if at the end of every chapter you wrote the nudge, the choice, and the joy? So this is an example, but at the end of every chapter, it's like, what's the nudge I got? What were the choices that I made? And then how did the joy come? Because I believe like that's mm. the secret sauce. Wow. And I think like uh, my neighbors on the farm, he hasn't read a book in 45 years. He's in his like late 60s. Maybe it's even more than that, but he's in his 60s, hasn't read a book in forever. And he was like, oh my gosh, even I can read this book and it's relatable and it feels like I'm just having a conversation with her. Mm-hmm. And so this is totally, it's not eloquently written, but it's written the way I speak. It's written from my heart. Um, like we talked earlier before I think we started recording it's going on Audible. It's on our website right now. If you do want to buy it and read, do the audio copy, not quite as fancy as Audible, but it works. And um, I, I believe, you know, whether you're 95 years old or you're 19 years old, the book has something in there for you. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm going to be excited. I'm excited to read, read, read the book and uh, um, I guess learn and I guess connect with you and your story. See less Fortnite, more reading. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, especially like... Uh... For those viewers out there and some people uh, that maybe don't read books, uh, sometimes you just like give it a go because if you can learn one thing from reading a book or, or watching a podcast or something, then that that has an impact on your life and it can it can really inspire you to do better things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. So Jessica, I want to uh, I want to touch on your influencing. Sure. Uh, that you do online, and I know like every second person is an influencer. Right. We all so, are influencers in our own. <laughs> exactly. In our own that's way. true. Yeah. That's true. So I guess how did you? Um, I guess how did you kind of um, connect with so many people, and um, you know get I guess build such a build build up such a fan following if you could even say like you have a lot of mm. people that you know look up to you and follow you and 
uh, or inspired by you? How did that come about? So first off, hopefully you boys inspire me because I talk about some good stuff on there. Um, I'm just really bugging these guys today here. <laughs> Probably haven't had a guest quite as fiery as me. I, <laughs> My my audience grew when um, Lewiston was sick. I mean, I had like whatever, 1,500 followers at the time. And it's like, fine, whatever. And this was before you could share people's profiles. This was before Instagram stories were a thing. Like, it's crazy to see how the landscape, you know, this was before you could swipe up here for a product or whatever. Um, but I started sharing our story. When Lewiston passed, I think we lost like 1,000 followers overnight. It was like he died and people were like, oh, the story's done. But I just continued to share because then stories did become a thing. And I just continued to share my experience with like grief and loss and the good things that we we're doing. I started sharing about my dreams, which is simply stuff like, hey, I'm going to write this book. And like, hey, we're going to raise, you know, a million dollars this year. Or, hey, we're going to raise, you know, a hundred thousand this year, whatever it was. And I think what people like and why they continue to follow and show up is because I'm real, I'm, I'm authentic, and I'm pretty raw. So, you know, I did a campaign with a client that um, I talked about anal fissures. And you two boys probably have no idea what that is, but when you are pushing a baby out of your vagina, basically there is so much pressure that happens there that I put paper cuts in my butt. And so we did this whole um, campaign on laxatives because I had to take laxatives after I had my baby. And so like, I'm not afraid to talk about the real things that are happening. And I think that's made it relatable to clients. Um, I only take um, contracts and uh, share products that I love and use myself. Um, you know, I've turned down more than I take. And I had a client come to me with this really interesting product. And I just was like, I can't, I can't rep it. The pay was really good. I've, I've had two really good paying contracts, big Canadian brands. And I was like, I can't get behind it. For the one, I was like, I don't like your product at all. I would never use it, never shop there. So I'd never encourage people. And the other one, I was so weirded out by the product. Um, it was like 50% meat, 50% plant-based. And I was like, either you want plant-based or you want meat. Like, I'm just like, what is this? And the product was like just the name of it. And I couldn't, and I just, I turned down a large paying contract because I was like, I wouldn't go to the grocery store and buy this product for my children and I'm not going to eat it. So like, I, I don't do that. So I'm just really proud of, of being authentic. And when people meet me in person, they're like, Oh, like you're like how you are on Instagram. Like you're like the same person. And that's super important to me that what they see on the screen is who they meet in person. And I, I try my best to, um, you know, over deliver and follow through on clients and go above and beyond and treat those contracts. And I've been really fortunate to work with some massive brands like Swimco and Lululemon, um, and WestJet and some really fun Kia Canada, some really fun uh, contracts and I, I take it seriously. Um, it means a lot. And by being an influencer, it allows me the freedom and flexibility to run the foundation to be able to be at home with my kids as I need to, um, you know, take them to their swimming lessons in the middle of the day and to develop the life that I dream of for, for our family. Yeah, beautiful. Exactly. Thanks for sharing that. Um, so, I mean, going off of that, as we come towards a, a close for a session, Mm -hmm. uh, for um, for the podcast, what's what's the plan for the future? What what's the what's the goal here that you have in mind that you're just striving for every single day? I, I mean, I I part of me like I am living my dream life. Like I um I get to work from home, but I get to work. I I love it. This is a privilege. I love showing up. I love the creative aspect. It's hard some days, and we have this incredible nanny who we consider to be a part of. Her 
Um, she keeps the fridge stocked and the, and the laundry done and the kids clean and happy and playing. And um, she has been like a godsend. And I have, like I said, the freedom and flexibility. I mean, my, my dream, I'm, I'm living it right now. I have the love of my life. I have, you know, two incredible healthy kids. And the long-term thing, you know, the big crazy things, it's like, yeah, I want to cure SMA and I want to make sure no family suffers. I want to be a New York Times bestseller. I want our documentary to be on Netflix and for people to see it around the world and for them to get off of it. But if you want to dial it into one single thing, my, my goal, my dream, and what I kind of continue to work on is to help people believe that anything is possible and that they're capable and that they can go do it. And it is possible because um, just because it doesn't happen overnight or you don't have the answers doesn't mean it can't happen. And so, yeah, just trying to show up every day to do that. Bring the joy. Be joyful. Mm-hmm. Helping them be yeah. game changers, right? That's what it's about. Hashtag game changers, man. <laughs> Hashtag game changers. <laughs> but um, I guess, you know, thanks so much um, for coming on the podcast. Uh, it really was um, amazing. And just the fact that you were able to okay. get over it and uh, get over the incident and just really make it your strength instead of mm-hmm. just staying a victim mentality. I think that in itself is so uh, inspiring for us to hear, for us to share. And not just that, not just uh, what the work you've done with the Love for Lewiston Foundation, you know, with the with the writing career that you have, uh, bring the joy, you know, you brought the joy to us today. And it was really a pleasure having you on. Um, grateful for your energy. You, could, you know, you said earlier, you're, you're, you're called an energizer bunny. And I, I, mm-hmm. I can definitely second that. Uh, one of the most energetic people I've ever met. So, I mean, it was amazing. It was amazing. It was really a pleasure. I think my long-term goal, actually, I, I've always wanted to go be like the pump-up person for like sports teams. Like I'd love to be in like the locker room for like an NFL game and being like, let's go. Like that, that I was a cheerleader in high school, but I was like, I always, you know, we know some really cool people here in the city. I'm like, can I just be in the locker room and do the pump-up chant? Like that is, I think like if I could have any job in the world, that would be it. But um, what I'm doing right now comes in a close second. Definitely. Um, yeah. I guess uh, I want to ask, you know, where can people find you if someone wants to contact or get in touch or buy your book or, you know, hire you for a motivational speaking, Heck event, yeah. anything, Yeah. where can people um, get to contact you? The easiest way is on social. So it's just the Jessica Jansen. So Jansen is J-A-N-Z-E-N. Um, they can check out our foundation, The Love for Lewiston. And that's the same. It's lovefor.lewiston.ca. If you Google it, you'll find it no problem. Our clothing line is The Lewiston Label. And then um, there's an email on my Instagram profile if you want to hit me up. It's hello at jessicajansen.ca. All pretty simple. My platform of choice is Instagram because it's quick, easy. Um, I don't have the prettiest feed, but I have a really fun feed. Um, and it shows cases life so everything from laxatives to how my kids are growing up and everything else in between and they can pick up copies of the book on amazon uh, if you're in the states and you're listening to this barnes and noble carries it as well as amazon.com um, and then our website the lewiston label carries it and we're hoping to get it into some more uh, local bookstores there's a bunch of local stores um, small businesses i'm a big small business fan um, the small business community in calgary is epic and they're so incredible and so you can find it too locally in stores awesome well i guess um thank you again for sharing your story thank you again for sharing everything um and it really was a pleasure uh all i can say is that you truly are a game changer um you really have you you just turned it around you changed everything for yourself for your family uh professionally personally 
And I think really uh, it's very extremely inspiring for us and future generations. Well, thank you guys so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, less video games, more reading, and more doing. So roll up your damn sleeves, dream big, go anywhere, <laughs> do anything. Exactly. Message to everyone, right? Yeah, cut the video games. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much, Jessica. And, you know, we'll talk to you soon. Uh, thank you, everyone, for watching. Thanks again. Uh, you see me and Jaden with the new hoodies. It's that Patreon support that you guys keep coming up for us. So thank you so much for the support. Thank you so much for uh, watching. We're extremely grateful um, and hoping to bring more game changers on the platform to continue to inspire you and for you to be your best self. And we'll see you guys on the next one. Yeah, Sounds good. You. Thanks, guys.